This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Anthony Blinken, America's Secretary of State, met Xi Jinping, China's president, in Beijing. After the meeting, Mr. Xi reported that the two sides had made progress and reached agreement on some specific issues. At a press conference, Mr. Blinken said that he had raised areas of agreement and disagreement during his visit, including the war in Ukraine and the issue of Taiwan. Mr. Blinken said that America does not support Taiwan's independence, but is concerned about China's recent incursions in the Taiwan Strait. Britain said it would maintain sanctions against Russia until the country agrees to pay full compensation to Ukraine. Meanwhile, Ukraine made small advances in its counteroffensive, but a Russian-appointed official acknowledged that Ukraine had recaptured Piatikartki in the Zaporizhia region. It is the eighth village the country has recaptured in the two weeks since the beginning of its counteroffensive. British MPs backed a parliamentary report that found that Boris Johnson had misled them about lockdown parties by a vote of 354 to 7. More than 200 MPs abstained or failed to show, including the current Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, whom an opposition lawmaker accused of a, quote, cowardly cop-out. Mr Johnson, who earlier resigned as an MP, will have his parliamentary past revoked. Intel, an American chipmaker, will invest $33 billion into building two semiconductor facilities in Magdeburg in East Germany. The German government has attracted criticism for proposing to subsidise the megasite with 6.8 billion euros or 7.4 billion dollars of taxpayer money. Intel is betting big on the fast-growing semiconductor market. On Friday, the company announced another major factory in Poland. India's largest airline, Indigo, ordered 500 planes in a record deal with Airbus, a European manufacturer, worth almost $50 billion. The budget carrier operates 60% of India's domestic flights, but has plans to expand into Central Asia. The deal eclipsed a recent order by Air India, another Indian airline, for 470 jets from Airbus and Boeing, an American plane maker, in February. Moldova's constitutional court banned Shur, a populist pro-Russian party founded in 1998. In recent months, the party has organised a series of anti-government protests, which the country's pro-Western government has decried as attempts by Russia to destabilise Moldova. Before its dissolution, the party was led by Ilan Shaw, a pro-Russian oligarch who was convicted of fraud this year. The US Coast Guard launched a rescue operation in search of a tourist submarine that has gone missing near the wreck of the Titanic. It is unclear how many people are on board the missing vessel, which can carry five passengers and is operated by Ocean Gate Expeditions. The Titanic lies about 740 kilometres off the coast of Newfoundland and 3.8 kilometres underwater. And figure of the day, 20%, the proportion by which land sales revenues have fallen in China so far this year. 
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Diplomats from Germany and China meet. The tradition of biennial top level consultations between China and Germany resumes in Berlin this week after an interruption during the pandemic. A delegation led by Li Qiang, the new Chinese premier, was received by Germany's president and chancellor on Monday and will plunge into talks with German ministers on Tuesday. Much has changed since the last such meeting five years ago. Russia's invasion of Ukraine exposed Germany's overdependence on Russian energy, prompting moves to de risk all of its economic relations, including those with China, its biggest trade partner after the EU. Meanwhile, tensions between China and America, Germany's closest ally, have risen. Will Mr. Li play tough, exploiting the deep reliance of big German firms on the Chinese market to drive a wedge between the Western allies? Or will he be more concerned about falling investment in China's own sluggish economy and instead turn on the charm? With the world's second and fourth biggest GDPs at play, the answer to those questions carries great weight. The EU Reviews Its Budget The European Union's midterm budget review used to be of interest only to diehard Euro nerds, not anymore. When the EU agreed in 2020 on a 2 trillion euro or $2.2 trillion budget for 2021 to 27, including an 800 billion euro post COVID recovery fund, that marked a large increase. Since then, difficulties have mounted. The war in Ukraine and the energy shock and inflation that followed, as well as the EU's response to America's lavish green subsidies, all require more spending. Sensing a political opportunity to put more money under its control, the European Commission, the Union's executive arm, will on Tuesday propose increasing the budget. Yet, appetite among increasingly cash strapped Northern European governments, the EU budget's main funders, is low. Everyone agrees that the EU should continue to support Ukraine and help finance its reconstruction. But elsewhere, the budget will probably remain unchanged. So, to fill a mooted sovereignty fund to support Europe's strategic industries, the EU will have to shift money from other programs. An African Energy Summit For African governments, a lack of energy, especially electricity, is an obstacle to development that must urgently be overcome. The average American fridge consumes more electricity each year than does the average African person. So, policymakers will have plenty to discuss when they meet on Tuesday for the four day Africa Energy Forum in Nairobi, Kenya's capital. Summits such as this one are a chance for governments to attract investment from much needed domestic power projects, yet, they are also an opportunity for African countries to highlight their important role in achieving global energy and climate goals. African countries, which export natural gas, such as Algeria, have become an important source for countries looking to replace Russian gas. The continent is also a rich source of metals, which are needed to make electric vehicle batteries as well as potentially green hydrogen made using renewable energy. Ensuring that Africa's own needs are not overlooked in the global scramble for energy is the job of its policymakers and their supporters in the West. Cost cutting at FedEx. Online shopping boomed during the pandemic, but as household budgets are strained by inflation and rising interest rates, consumers are now buying less. That is challenging the business models of delivery firms. On Tuesday, Federal Express, an American giant, will present its latest results. 
FedEx faces several difficulties. Shipping demand is falling as the global economy cools. Amazon is capturing a growing share of the delivery market, and other large retailers, such as Walmart, are reining in new orders amid a glut of unsold goods. FedEx's response in September last year was to instigate the largest restructuring in its 50-year history. The company has already sacked staff, reduced flights, closed offices, and parked planes. And combining its previously separate air and ground operations into one business could slash costs by $4 billion over the next two years. But the plan is not without risk. Wall Street will be looking for evidence that FedEx can deliver. How Southgate Saved English Football When Gareth Southgate took over as manager of the England football team in 2016, its record was appalling. That summer, England had been humiliated in the European Championships by tiny Iceland. The previous manager had resigned after just one game, and Mr. Southgate, a former international player and coach of the under-21 team, was drafted as an interim manager. He has been there ever since, winning games and restoring national pride in the team. This turnaround is the subject of Dear England, which opens at the National Theatre in London on Tuesday. James Graham's play is a forensic examination of football as a national psychodrama. As a player, Mr. Southgate, played by Joseph Fiennes, was haunted by missing a vital penalty in a shootout against Germany in 1996. To lift the crippling burden of expectation from his players, he employs a sports psychologist to force them to face their deepest fears. Redemption, it seems, is a game of two halves. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Tuesday. Which famous comedian and film star died at the age of 100 in 2003? Monday. Which book by Gaston LaRue was adapted into a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Lillian Hellman, who was born on this day in 1905. Cynicism is an unpleasant way of saying the truth. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.